Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, October 12th. How to label packaged foods. Now, this is not an issue we see candidates campaigning on, right? But the Food and Drug Administration has just proposed new standards for allowing packaged foods to use the word healthy on their labels. Unhealthy eating is a leading cause of preventable disease and death in this country, and the food labeling rules are as much about politics as they are about food science, unfortunately. The FDA is even designing a little symbol that they'll allow on many packaged foods that includes the word health, as well as the initials FDA, in a little box. So with us now is our guide to the FDA's healthy food labeling proposal and what kinds of politics from either party go into it is none other than Marion Nessel, Professor Emerita of Nutrition, Food Science, and Public Health at NYU. She writes a blog called Food Politics and is the author of many books, including a brand new memoir called Slow Cooked, An Unexpected Life in Food Politics. Marion, we always learn something when you come on the show. Welcome back to WNYC. Oh, happy to be here. Would you like to start with the premise of the article you wrote on the website Stat News last week saying health claims are not about health? Want to set that up for us? Sure. Um, The FDA has just come out with new proposed guidelines on the use of the word healthy on food packages. I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I talk about this because the whole thing seems so ridiculous. But the, um, the point about a label like healthy or any other health claim on a food package is that it's really not about health. It's about marketing those products. And the reason why food labels are so political is because of their marketing purpose. Uh, The objective of a food company is to sell products. That's really all they care about. Um, And that's different from consumers' objectives, which might be to feed their family in the healthiest way possible or to eat in the healthiest way possible. And when we get into the aisles of supermarkets that contain packaged foods, we're in um, healthy never-never land. Um, I I mean, it just sort of boggles the mind. If you want to eat healthfully, eat fruits, vegetables, meat, dairy, fish, eggs, eat real food. Um, It's the packaged foods that are so profitable that get us into trouble. So in that context, can we do some food labeling history first uh, before we actually get into what's going to change or what the FDA is proposing to change on the labels we see in stores all the time? We, We all see the nutrition labels on food packages, how many calories, how much fat and sugar and sodium, what percentage of a recommended daily maximum is in Uh, each serving, also some of the good things in the product, all of that. But food packages didn't always have those labels. When and how did they come to be? Well, the history of it is long and complicated, but it really started in the 1980s when uh, Kellogg's made a deal with the National Cancer Institute to uh, put something on all brand packages that said that they could help reduce the risk of cancer. Up until that point, Packages were not allowed to make health claims on food 
on food packages. They, they weren't allowed to make any kind of health claim. The FDA viewed that as a drug claim and said it was, they would have to prove that through controlled clinical trials that all brand prevented cancer, which obviously would be impossible to do. Uh, Kellogg's pushed and pushed and pushed on it. And by 1990, Congress passed a law allowing health claims on food packages. And that was when the whole labeling, um, and, and they did that because the food industry was really opposed to having nutrition facts on food labels. They didn't want people to know what was inside those food packages. And so that was the deal that they made with Congress. If Congress would allow health claims, they would allow the uh, labels, the nutrition facts labels and ingredient lists on food packages. And so that happened in 1990. And then the FDA did a lot of testing of designs and um, they tested a whole bunch of prototypes of the nutrition facts panel. And when the testing was over, it turned out nobody understood the, any of the prototypes very well. And so the FDA pick the one that was least worst understood, if that's a grammatical sense. Least worst understood. Yeah, the, the one that was, they, they picked the one that was least poorly understood. They were all poorly understood. So, they so that's the when like was, nobody in the class gets over a 70 on the test <laughs> exactly. and you celebrate the student who did the least bad. Exactly, you got it. Um, so that's what we're living with. And so there's been, and because the labels are so hard for most people to understand, they're even hard to teach. It's, you know, I mean, I do a lot of teaching of food labels and they're difficult to teach even to students who are particularly interested in this. They're complicated. Some are floors, some are ceilings. You have to know what a daily value is. You have to know a lot to understand them. Um, so there's been a big push to put front of package labeling on some kind of symbol or some kind of design that will tell people at a glance what's a healthy product. And that's where this healthy uh, proposal is coming from. The FDA has been working on it for years. Um, the reason why I don't know whether to laugh or cry is that hardly anybody, any of the food manufacturers use health, the healthy label. And the FDA has set the rules up so that even fewer will be able to use it. Um, and in any case, there are other kinds of labels that are much better, like the warning labels that are used in a lot of countries in Latin America that tell people that a product has too much salt, sugar, saturated fat, or calories uh, for what you want. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is all about selling food packages. It's not about eating healthfully or going to the peripheral aisles of the supermarket and doing your own home cooking, which lots of people can't do. Now, for people who look at the labels closely enough today, they'll see the percentage of what they call daily value of each listed item. Two grams of saturated fat, for example, also says 10% of daily value. That's kind of a euphemism in and of itself or a vague term, daily value. What does it mean? Well, it's supposed to mean either an upper limit or a floor, depending on which nutrient you're talking about. In the case of saturated fat, it's an upper limit. Um, so you're not supposed to have more than 20 grams a day or if, if, two grams is 10%, then 20 grams is 
what you're allowed. Is that right? The, I think that's the actual number, I think. Yes, the number. So it's an, it's an upper limit, um, you know, for fruits and vegetables the, or for uh, some of the vitamins, it's lower limits or it's floors. It's the minimum you're supposed to have. So it's very, very hard to, um, to explain it to people except that um, you know for some of them a high percentage is good and for some of them a high percentage is bad so the new fda food labeling proposals what is their task right now as they see it and this is the news hook to why we're having this conversation about food labeling history in our 30 issues and 30 days election series segment what is the fda trying to address by proposing revised food labels right now well, this is going to seem like such a stretch. I can hardly say it in a straight face or straight voice. Um, but, the, you know, the big problem, there, there are two big food problems in American society right now. Not having enough food or not having a regular supply of food, what we're now calling food insecurity. And then diet-influenced chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and COVID-19 for that matter. Um, diseases that are related to overconsumption of food, to obesity, and to, and to diseases for which obesity is a risk factor. So this is a big problem in our society. Three quarters of American adults are overweight or obese uh, by CDC standards. It's become normal. And that means that, you know, three quarters of the American population is at either small to increasing risk of all of these chronic diseases. They cost a lot. They're terrible to have for individuals there, and they're not very good for society either. And we're seeing it in younger and younger children. So the FDA wants to make it easier for individuals to make healthier food choices. Um, and this is uh, I mean, I think there are two approaches to doing this. They have picked the approach, the personal responsibility approach. If you knew, the assumption is that if you knew what a healthy food product was, you would choose it. Um, if you didn't know, you know, if you're ignorant of it, then you can't be blamed. This way you can be blamed. So the idea is to label food products uh, and to indicate which ones are good for you, taking a positive approach, not which ones you should avoid, because that will get the food industry upset, but which ones you can choose because they're healthy. So that's what it's trying to do. Um, will it work? I have, I have no idea. I don't think it'll work. I'm dubious about the whole thing. I don't think that having individual food choices is the way to achieve public health objectives. We need policies. How about regulating the food industry so it can't market junk food, especially to children? Or how about setting up some restrictions on food companies getting involved in public policy and influencing the dietary guidelines and doing all the other things that food companies are doing? It seems to me that would be yeah. a much better approach. Why is this happening again right now, this revision? I mean, if the Reagan administration, when you worked there, was friendly to the food industry, as you wrote in your book, does today's push have anything to do with the Biden administration being in power since the FDA is an executive branch agency? Is, is there a Democratic and Republican approach to food labels? Well, one would hope that um, the current approach would be more public health oriented, but 
to, to take a really public health oriented position on diet and diet related disease, you would have to control what the food industry does. And what I always like to explain is that food companies are not social service agencies. They're not public health agencies. They're businesses with stockholders to please. Their first and only priority is to make money for their stockholders. That's what they're in business to do. Right. And but the government is in business to regulate them. And you did write that the new proposed labels would be a lot better than the labeling anarchy that currently exists. So how would the new proposed labels be an improvement? Well, they're an improvement because they will only allow food products to put a healthy claim uh, on the package label, if they contain real food, what a concept. Um, and if they are below certain upper limits of saturated fat, salt, and sugar. So the improvement is that they will, they have exceptions made for, I, mean, I can't even say this with a straight face. They, they, they have exceptions made for real foods. So foods like avocados or nuts that are high in fat that used to be uh, forbidden to, be, to claim themselves as healthy can now have healthy labels on them. Um, and maybe we're going to start seeing these healthy stickers on real fruits and vegetables in the supermarket. Um, but the whole issue is to discuss what the deal is on packaged foods. These are the foods that are most profitable for food companies. They're the ones that um, are considered to be ultra processed, which is a relatively new term that describes foods that are industrially produced, don't look anything like the foods they came from, can't be made in home kitchens, and are clearly uh, shown to encourage people to eat and eat and eat. You can't eat just one. Uh, they're the ones that you just can't stop eating. And so they induce people to take in more calories. The food industry loves them because they're enormously profitable. And that's what we're up against from a public health standpoint. So it's public health against food industry profits. Janet in Manhattan, you're on WNYC. Hi, Janet. Oh, hi. I just wanted to talk about a, a problem that I see that I learned about about 30 or 40 years ago from Gary Noll, nutritionist on the radio, and it's what he called hidden sugars. And apparently the FDA allows in the listing of ingredients, it allows companies to list different sugars separately. So, for example, you'll see in peanut butter, it'll say uh, peanuts, comma, sugar, comma, dextrose, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Now, when you find dextrose and sugar listed separately, that's probably a clue that if you added them together, as you should, and reported it as sugar, that sugar would be the highest ingredient, and you would have peanut butter where the ingredients say sugar and then peanuts, because ingredients have to be listed in the proportion in which they appear in the food. So, Janet, let me get an answer from Mary Nessel for you for that. What about hidden sugar? As opposed um, yeah, to the, there are probably the FDA allows probably fifty different terms for one kind of sugar or another, and this is where food label sophistication comes in, because when you see something like that, the nutrition facts label now requires the companies to put in something called added sugars, 
And those added sugars will be all added together. And so you'll see the number of grams of added sugars and you can add it up um, and see that. But you have to know how to do that. You have to know how to integrate the nutrition facts label with the ingredient list to make sense of it. And the caller is absolutely right about the problem of doing that. Marsha in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Marsha. Hi, Brian. I just was curious, the politics around the organic food, why can't the organic section just be labeled healthiest? Can we get that policy, knowing about the herbicides that are also used to produce organic foods, and why can't we start looking at policies federally that put subsidies into the production of sustainable farming and organic foods versus all these other manufacturers and the and the um, hyper agricultural industry. That's it. Thank you, Marcia. Yeah. And yet, Mary, if if I can complicate the question, um, even that is complicated. In that there are plenty of products out there that are packaged products that are labeled organic, but that also might be high in sugar, for example. Yeah, I mean, there's organic junk food, just like there is every other kind. Um, organics are a production term, and they have to do with the ways in which the foods are produced. They have nothing to do with their uh, effects on health other than having to do with the pesticides. Uh, so that just because it's organic doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy or that it would qualify for the new uh, FDA's healthy label. Um, especially if it's high in salt, sugar, saturated fat, which it certainly could be. But I am certainly with the caller on the need for changing our agricultural system so that it supports the growing of food rather than uh, feed for animals or fuel for automobiles and supports a much healthier, sustainable, regenerative agriculture system. I'm with you on that one. As we run out of time, I will mention that your book also includes a cartoon of you that's become one of your signature items. It's a ca cartoon caricature, caricature of you holding a giant fork. And the caption says, vote with your fork. Better yet, vote with your vote. So do you think government food regulation in the interest of public health is on the ballot in some sense this year, even though it's not making news as an explicit campaign issue? Well, I, I, I think it is, but it needs to be a much noisier campaign issue. And we need much, much more than a healthy label on food products to have a healthier and more sustainable food system. I want to see much more noise about food policy. And that's issue 13 in our 30 Issues and 30 Days election series and the last of our three segments on public health. Again, we thank Marian Nessel, Professor Emerita of Nutrition, Food Science, and Public Health at NYU. She writes a blog called Food Politics and is the author of many books, including the brand new memoir that we've been citing from called Slow Cooked, An Unexpected Life in Food Politics. Marian, thanks so much. My pleasure. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time. <music>